If you have a Bible, we are working our way through the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. So open your Bibles, if you have one, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. And I've asked Tiffany to read Matthew 7, 1 through 6 for us. Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you, you pronounce your... Sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say that your bro- say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Amen. This is God's word. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that we would um, receive your word as a gift with joy from a father who loves us. And you say that you love to give good gifts to your children. How much more will you, our heavenly father, give us the Holy Spirit? We ask for that this morning. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So draw us to yourself this morning through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when I was a kid, um, watched a lot of TV, liked to watch a lot of sports. I would watch... A lot of NFL football on Sunday afternoons. I do that still, assuming the Packers are good. And um, if they're not, I mean, I'm just a Fairweather fan. But I like to watch football as a kid. And I remember that as a kid, it's not very popular anymore, I don't think. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But when I was a kid 20, 30 years ago, you would oftentimes see when, when, a, when an NFL team scored a touchdown and they're kicking the extra points, there would be a couple guys or a couple people that would hold up the huge, uh, look like a big bed sheet or something, saying John 3.16, right, in the end zone where the ball is being kicked. And so you see this verse, John 3.16. Many people would try to do that to draw attention to the gospel. The assumption is that a lot of people might know John 3.16 or be curious and look it up in the Bible, and then they would have opportunity to hear the good news of what Jesus has done to save sinners, right? I think for many years, John 3.16 was probably maybe the most well-known verse in the Bible. But my hunch is that has changed. Our culture has changed in my lifetime. And I think maybe in our culture now, the most well-known verse in the Bible might be verse 1 of our text this morning. Look at what it says. Judge not that you not be that you be not judged. That's said, it's written a little funny there in the ESV. But the King James, a lot of people are familiar with, um, judge not lest ye be judged. We've probably heard it said that way, right? See, our culture loves our, what one sociologist called, our rugged individuality. There's a rugged individualism that's part of American culture. Like, I don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to be told what to do. We love our autonomy. I mean, this 
country was founded on, hey, British people, you're not going to tell us what to do, right? We're going to do our own thing, right? Freedom is, is, is written into who we are as Americans. We hate it when we sense people are imposing their views on us. So oftentimes, you'll hear people say, who are you to judge, right? Like, why are you judging me? Like, that's one of the, maybe the, one of the most important things not to do in our culture. Like, if you say, man, why are you judging me? Or if someone says, I feel like you're judging me, like, that's, that's a big deal in our culture. We might say things like, when, before you make a statement about something, you might say something like, not that I'm judging or anything, but... And I've heard people that I know aren't Christians, you know, quote Jesus and say, hey, judge not, lest ye be judged. Right? And I get it. I understand. Well, I think it's easy for us to understand why this verse would be popular in our culture that loves our individuality, our freedom, our autonomy. And you've got Jesus that says, judge not, and I don't want to be judged. I want to just do my own thing. And so it's feels nice to be able to quote Jesus in that respect, right? But it's super important for us to always read the Bible in context, okay? You hear me say that all the time. I'm going to say it again because we could get so screwed up and you could make the Bible say almost anything you want if you fail to read the Bible in context. We have to be good students of the Bible, the first place to start to be a good student of the Bible is to always remember to read the Bible in context. Never read a single Bible verse. I heard one guy say. That's his catchphrase. Never read a single Bible verse. And what that means is always read at minimum in paragraphs. So you see the context. Okay? So here's the question for, the first question for us this morning. Is Jesus saying that we should never pronounce a judgment on anyone else in the form of something like, hey, brother, sister, hey, friend, hey, neighbor, hey, co-worker, hey, roommate, hey, husband, wife, father, son, mother, daughter. Hey, what you're doing here is wrong. And I think you might need to see that. Like, is Jesus, is that what he's saying about judge not lest ye be judged? Like, none of us like to be corrected. Even though as sinners, we know like we need that at times, right? We, we all tend to resist, you know, words of correction. I get that. So, so is Jesus saying that holding opinions of others' behavior or their words and communicating that opinion is always wrong? Is that what he's saying? Does Jesus mean that? Well, let's look at just some immediate context here. To try to understand what he's getting at or what he's not getting at. Look at, just jump down to verse 15 of chapter 7. Look at what he says. We're going to preach on this in a few weeks. But just to give you a little jump start here. Verse 15 says, Jesus says to his followers, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So, 
how in the world are we supposed to obey this verse unless in some sense we render a judgment about someone else, right? Like if, you're, if he's calling us to assess someone's teaching and discern, is this true teaching or is this false teaching? The assumption here is that you're going to render some form of conclusion, right? We're going to have to think critically about what is being said by this teacher in order to follow this verse, right? Pretty clear. There's a thousand biblical examples we could give, but let me just give you one other one from the broader context of Matthew. Flip over to chapter 18. This verse seems like it's on a collision course with a cultural understanding of Matthew 7.1. Look at Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. This is Jesus' command to his disciples about how we operate in community when there's sin. Verse 15 of chapter 18 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother or sister. So again, how do we obey this verse unless we have some type of a structure by which we evaluate someone else's speech or behavior? We have to make some type of a judgment, right? In fact, this verse says that Jesus commands us to render a judgment, to come to a conclusion in situations like this, and then to act on it and to speak to that person, right? P- pretty simple concepts here. Now, is Jesus schizophrenic? No, he's not. So then maybe through the broader context of Scripture, that can help us understand what is, what is he getting at in Matthew 7.1. Now, we have the, the point here is we have to be very careful to define what we mean. If you get into a conversation with someone, and they say, man, who are you to judge? A great follow-up question is, well, help me understand what you mean by judging. How are you defining that? Okay? Because we all judge. That's just part of our culture, right? If you're a lawyer, if you're a police officer, like if you drive 90 through a school zone and you're intoxicated, that behavior will be judged. Correct? And we all celebrate that. So our culture is predicated on passing judgment. That's very, very normal. Okay, so when someone says don't judge, okay, well, what do you mean by that? But even more importantly, what does Jesus mean? That's what we should be most worried about. What does Jesus mean here in this text? If we're going to be good students of the Bible, we have to get this answer from Jesus. Like, what does he mean by judging? Now, the context we've already seen helps us know what he probably doesn't mean. Like, we know for sure that he doesn't mean that we should never evaluate, like, like uh, he doesn't mean that we should never evaluate or think critically of other speech or behavior, right? That's not what he means by don't judge lest you be judged. That's what the world wants it to mean, but it's clear that he doesn't mean that. So what does he mean? Let, let's look at it again. Verse 1 says, of, of chapter 7 says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I think if we put these verses in context, 
what really kind of jumps off the page for me, we're going to unpack this a little more in a second, is, is that Jesus is simply commending to us humility. Humility, a continual, habitual posture of humility. Like a continual remembrance of my finiteness, my limitedness. I'm suspicious of myself. I don't think I'm right all the time. I don't always claim the moral high ground. I'm not all about virtue signaling. I can be patient and seek to understand more and more before I render a conclusion. Now let's keep reading, and I think what I'm saying right now will be even more clear when I talk about this posture of humility. Look at verse 3. He continues. He comes with a very um, aggressive illustration, poignant illustration. Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Okay. Verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what's, if we put verse 1 and 2 with verse 3, 4, and 5, what's Jesus' point here? It's a very dramatic illustration, right? If you were listening to this for the first time, that would be like, huh, you, he would have piqued your interest. I think the key word here is, is seeing, this concept of seeing. Look at verse 3. Why do you see, he's emphasizing seeing, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? So I can see that speck, that sawdust or whatever in my brother or sister's eye. But do not notice, or synonym, see, or do not see the log that is in your own eye. So you're seeing over there, but you're not seeing here, right? Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye so I can see it, brother, and, and I'll go get it. When, when, when there's a failure to see what's in my own face, right? You hypocrite, he says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then what happens? Then you're seeing becomes more correct, right? And then you will, what does it say? Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is talking about seeing here. How do we go about seeing? So here's the question. What's the relationship between judgment and seeing? What's the relationship between judgment and seeing? What's the relationship between the type of judging that Jesus is warning against? You with me? What, what's, what's the relationship between the type of judging that Jesus is warning against, verses 1 and 2, and this issue of being able to see clearly into someone else's life and then speak about it? Imagine you have a, a, a piece of sawdust in your eye. I do a lot of woodworking, so there's sawdust flying around in my shop. And the other day I had uh, my friend, my friend, well, yeah. Emery is my friend, uh, but he's my son also. I had my son, um, Emery, helping me in my shop. And I was a foolish dad, and I uh, failed to have him wear eye protection. 
and I had sawdust, you know, blazing out of my circular saw, and it got, got in his eye, and some of it got in his eye, and it, and it hurt. He got a, a nice little piece of uh, sawdust in his eye, and it took him a bit to w- work that out. It wasn't fun. I felt bad as a, as a dad. It wasn't comfortable for him. Now, many of us probably have had a similar experience. Let's imagine you got a, something in your eye, like a piece of sawdust or something, and you just can't get it out. And in fact, it gets so bad, swollen, just kind of just a mess there in your eye that you need surgery to remove it, right? So you go to the eye doctor to surgically remove this piece of sawdust in your eye. And he walks into the OR right before your surgery and he looks like this, right? And and what are you going to be thinking? I mean, this is Jesus' illustration, right? Like, you're going to do surgery on me. Like, how do you even get close enough? Like, this board is beyond your reach. And you're like, Doc, are you, are you sure you're ready to do this? Like, isn't it like you can only see with one eye? There's like a depth perception problem. Like, and he's like, no, it's good. I've done this a thousand times. And you're like, but, but you can't see. You've got this board coming out of your face. And he says, no, don't worry. I got this. I've done it a thousand times. And Jesus is saying, that's what most of us are like. Like, it's that kind of absurd if we're not careful. Jesus says, like, in, in a relational context, in judging, in, in our seeing, like, we're oftentimes ready to do surgery on someone else and fail to see that we're not seeing clearly. We think we are, but we fail to see that We have limitations. We think we can see perfectly, and we can't. So so if you were to endure the analogy, what should this surgeon do with the board in his face? He should respond with humility and not overconfidence, right? And pull the board out of his eye so that he can be careful not to harm the patient that he's doing surgery on, right? So you feel that? Jesus is saying that you need to be careful when you evaluate someone else and, and have an overly critical spirit because we're fallen human beings. We don't have all the information. Like only God renders a perfect judgment. Only God has the eyes to see perfectly. Only God never fails coming to the right conclusion. So we know for sure that what judgment what he's, the kind of judging that Jesus is talking about is the kind of judging that assumes you know everything and, and comes with a lot of heat and overconfidence and, and, a, and a quickness to speak and a slowness to listen. The opposite of James 1.19. Slow to speak, quick to listen. Like, if you have to render a judgment, come to a conclusion about someone else, and we all have to do that at times, right? Whether you're a, a boss at work, whether you're a parent, whether you're, you have a roommate and you need to make a change or whatever. We all have to judge and make decisions based on coming to a conclusion about someone else's speech or behavior at times in our life. And Jesus, I think, is just saying, don't enjoy it too much. Like, 
be very, very wary of a sense of superiority. If you sense superiority in your heart, it can be very subtle, but we should be watching for it. If you sense that creeping up out of your heart, know for sure that you're probably in the area of sin. No one is superior. All made in the image of God. All having unique sin issues. All having unique struggles. Like this is something that I'm personally trying to grow in. I remember very clearly in my young and dumb 20s that I just, man, I just assumed I was right about everything. You know? Just this gross overconfidence. And everything was black and white. I still believe in blacks and whites, right? But the question is, how do you go about communicating those? Like, I just remember thinking, like, if you had a problem, you could come to my 23-year-old self and, man, about five minutes, you're good. I got you. You know what I mean? Like, A plus B equals C, so why are you crying? Like, what's what's the problem here? Great to be married to a guy like that, right? Some issues in our, in our early days of marriage. Now, I pretty much thought I had all the answers. And so th- what this does is it leads you to assume things very quickly about people and then gain a sense of superiority over them because they don't have it all together like you do. Like this, this was a sin, and it still is a sin in my life if I continue, if I persist in this kind of way of thinking. And Jesus is just saying in this text, if you hear anything in verses you know, the plank spec thing, he's saying slow down. Just slow down. We're so quick to judge. We're so quick to assume. Like one of the best things that you can do to, to build relationships, I mean, just one of the best things for our church to just, to just free us from relational carnage is just, the, like Laurel and I have learned this in the counseling room, but it's so good just for all of our relationships. Is the, the, the creed is, is this. Don't assume, ask. Don't assume, ask. And there, for all of us, there are so many ways that we assume. Like you, you, you don't even know that you're doing it. Like you drive by the homeless guy holding the cardboard sign. And for me, the immediate thought is lazy. And I don't even know that I'm doing it. It's just, it's just a knee-jerk thing, right? Well, that person might be lazy. They might not be lazy. There might be way more to the story. So before I assume about that guy holding the cardboard sign, maybe I could ask him, hey, man, what's your story? Oh, and then you learn he's got deep mental illness. And he was abused as a kid, and he's just never been able to recover. Or you might just learn, yeah, this dude is just straight up lazy. I mean, that, that's possible too. But at least you, you, you asked. At least you didn't assume, right? See how that's a posture of humility? And not just like, yeah, I got this. What? Yeah, of course he's lazy. Well, maybe not. Jesus is saying, be careful if you render judgments like that. Because you don't know. So ask. Slow to speak, quick to listen. That, that says asking, right? Seek to understand first. And then you can move slowly into rendering a humble judgment that is free from being abiding critical spirit. Now, notice something very interesting in this text that just speaks to the fact that he's not talking about never rendering a judgment about someone else. Look at verse 5. He says, you hypocrite. First, there's a progression here. First, 
take the log out of your own eye, and then, feel the progression language? We're going to do something first, and then we're going to do something else. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we're still going to talk about your brother or sister's speck. You, you feel that? But the question is, how are we going to go about doing that? What's the posture that we're going to take? Are, are we going to be covered and clothed in humility as we do that? Or are we going to be clothed with a sense of superiority and just blast someone with a knee-jerk assumption, right? Like, we, there has to be this remembrance that we're in no way superior. we got to take the, the log out first. But we're humbled by the fact that we used to have this log. We just two seconds ago took it out of our face. So how could we then... You know, I got 10,000 specs right here, and so we're going to talk about your one spec. Like, that's the, you feel the proportion? Jesus wants us to feel that proportion. And that's going to affect your tone of voice. That's going to affect your asking of questions. That's going to affect you not having what the culture would call a judgmental spirit, right? Just a practical thing that, that I've been trying to, to put into place to, to see this text come alive in my life and I don't do this perfectly, I don't all do it all the time, but I would commend it to you, is just kind of like one way for me to kind of dial down the, the sense of superiority that someone might feel from me is when I have to, and I do have to talk about hard things all the time. As a leader, we, or a parent, as a leader in this church, we have to make decisions about people and have hard conversations with people. That's just normative. That happens all the time. But one of the things I try to do before rendering that conclusion is just say something really simple like, hey, you know what? I could be wrong here. Um, I don't have all the information. Can you help me understand? Like, I could be wrong about this. I, I know I have a limited perspective, but if you could endure my um, lack of eternal perspective, here's something that I I'd love for you to consider. Like, hopefully, that's going to land on someone with a lot more humility than just simply being like, hey, what's your problem? Here's what ha is going on in your life, and you need to knock that off. There's a big difference. Now, the truth might be the same, but the package that it comes in is very different, right? Here's one of the hardest things ever in the human experience. In pastoring, in parenting, in being a business owner or whatever. Is we have to make decisions. And those decisions oftentimes have consequences. And God calls you to make a decision. And if you don't make a decision, that's still a decision. You with me? So indecision is a decision. Like, we have to make decisions as elders all the time about this church. And we're, we're not infinite. But we still have to make a decision. And those decisions have consequences. Like, that's a weight that you carry. You do this in parenting. You, you have a verbally abusive 17-year-old in your house. The Bible doesn't say in terms of what you should do, kick him out or not. Right? So you're going to have to make a decision, 
and you don't have an eternal perspective like God does, but you still have to make a decision. If you kick him out, this will have consequence A. If you don't, it'll have consequence B. What do you do? You pray. You, you humble yourself and plead for God's help. I think in community, that's why community is such a big deal. One of the reasons. Where we come together around God's word being open. I, I want to gather biblical wisdom. I want to say, Lord, would you help me? And we seek godly counsel from one another. Hey, would you help me think this through? Because I know I'm limited. I don't want to screw this up. I know it's not going to be perfect. I'm feeling the weight of this. But our humility doesn't mean indecision. Okay, I want you to feel that. Jesus isn't saying indecision. Like Matthew 18, church discipline, in Matthew 18, like we read, go into somebody, like that's making a decision. At a certain point, you make a decision about someone's behavior. Like this is not in line with the gospel. We can't, we just can't do this. All right, so when Jesus says don't judge, he's clearly not saying that we don't come to conclusions about other speech and behavior. He's saying a ton about how we are going to go about that. Slowness, humility, listing, asking questions before we assume conclusions and get to conclusions. All right, real quick, look at this last verse, verse 6. It seems like it doesn't relate at all, but it does, okay? This last verse says, don't give dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls uh, before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Sounds kind of weird, right? But think about, again, what's the context? The context is we are speaking in such a way to help someone remove a speck. Okay? That's a precious thing. When that happens, man, my wife and I have grown in that a ton. Hey, hon, I think you've got a speck here. Would you listen to me about this? And over the 21 years we've been married, we've grown a lot in that. And when we get good at that, it's beautiful. It's holy. Like it says here, don't give the dogs what is holy, precious, set apart, unique. Like when you can do this in, the, in, the, in your marriage, with a roommate, uh, in a family, in a, in a city group. Like where you can have these kind of conversations where we talk about specs and it goes well. Like that's a beautiful thing and it makes the community tight like this. But what Jesus is saying here is there's going to be times when there are no ears to hear. And they will not endure talking about the speck. And he's saying, just, if there's no ears to hear, we see this in Jesus' life. He just doesn't go there. He doesn't play ball. Pharisees come to him. They just come to trap him. And oftentimes he's like, sorry, guys, I'm not playing ball. I'm not going to give my holy words to you when I know your heart, your heart is hard. There's no ears to hear. Like, like a dog or a pig with a pearl doesn't get that that's a pearl. They just, whatever. And the Pharisees didn't get the preciousness of Jesus' words. And so like, I'm not going to give you my pearls. That's what he's saying here. And so what does that require? That requires wisdom, right? To know what I'm dealing with here. Is this, are there ears to hear? I don't know. It's going to take some time to figure it out. Hey, would you help me figure this out? I'm not sure what I'm dealing with here is this a time to move on or should I stay put and, and stay after it? Are we beating a dead horse here? Or, man, if there's, 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 a, there's a, a sliver of light here. Let, let's keep going. Like, again, that's a judgment call that takes wisdom and prayer and seeking counsel. Bible open. All right? 
But that's what Jesus is saying here. Demands prayerful wisdom. And, and in closing, let me just remind us, as this, as this text is just bathed in what I think is just a posture of humility, Humility to be slow to judge and judge in the right way. Humility to know when to move on and not beat a dead horse and try to control the situation. The gospel that we say we believe and that we do believe, if you're a believer this morning, equips us with all that we need to pursue this humble way of life, right? Because Jesus himself had the right to not follow this text. If anybody has the right to judge, it's Jesus, right? He didn't have to be slow to judge. He always had perfect judgment of a situation. But do you see his humility at the cross for you? Where he laid aside his judgment and laid it on himself. He laid aside his judgment of you that you deserve, that I deserve. And he laid it on himself in our place. He, he took on the posture of a servant, the humility of a servant, not someone who's just going to, you know, just blast people left and right. It's like, no, that's what they deserve, but I'm going to love them and take that on myself in their place. So if you see that and then you get that and you have this posture of thankfulness, that's going to equate to humility in your life that will make Matthew 7, 1 through 6 come alive. You see how the gospel empowers that? Remembering the gospel empowers Matthew 7, 1 through 6 to come alive in your life, come alive in your city group, come alive in your family, come alive in this collective network of relationships called Divine Church. That's our prayer, okay? Let's pray right now. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for how it helps us, molds us, and shapes us. And I pray this morning that this word would come alive in our community. In Jesus' name, amen.